Well, we've been talking about gratitude in the last few weeks, and I just want to express my gratitude to this congregation that over the years, you have been very tolerant of my baseball metaphors in, in sermons. And so I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> and I want to say that I'm not going to do a baseball metaphor today. Maybe you'll be grateful for that. I don't know. But I'm going to tell a story about football, which is a different kind of sport. And actually, it's kind of similar to what happened in the ancient world that Amy was talking about, where these armies lined up and clashed each other. So I know people have different feelings about that, and we should have a, a, uh, an adult RE program that, on that some night. But I'm just going to tell you a story right now. And uh, you're such good people that I know you'll probably let me get, a lot, get away with it. So this past Thursday night, just three days ago, there was a football game that ended in a remarkable way. Just an absolutely remarkable way. I'm going to just tell you how it ended. I've got, I've got some people here who know about this. It was a game between the football game between the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. And I just want to tell you, I'm not actually a fan of either one of those teams, although I do kind of like both of them, and I've got friends who care about both those teams, some of whom are in this sanctuary at this moment. So what happened was the Packers, um, who, by the way, have two families in this church who are seasoned ticket holders of the Packers. So this is not a trivial thing we're talking about here. Two families. One's moved away, but they're still part of us. The Packers were down 20 to nothing at, in the beginning of the game. I think it was all the way up to the first half. But they fought back in the game from 20 to nothing until they were only behind three points with about 23 seconds left to go. And had the ball way deep in their own territory, way away from where they had to get. They ran a couple plays and they ran it down to six seconds. And they really hadn't made any progress whatsoever. So on this play with six seconds, they tried this kind of razzle-dazzle thing where one guy threw it at another, another guy threw it, you know, trying to just try anything to see if it would work. And at the end of the play, the original guy who had the ball had it back again, and he was tackled with no time remaining on the clock. Game over. However, there was a penalty called. Somebody had grabbed his face mask as they were tackling him. Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback's name. Somebody grabbed his face mask, not in real and harshly or with a lot of intention, but did grab it. And you cannot end the game on a penalty like that. You've got to run another play. So that's what the rule book says. You've got to run another play. You can't end the game on a penalty. So they got one more play with no time left on the clock. Zero. Zilch nada. But they got to run a play. So they ran a play. They were 61 yards away from the goal line. And so they, they snapped the ball to the quarterback, and he ran around for a little while because he had to give his guys a chance to run all the way down there. It might take some of us a half an hour, but they can make it in about seven seconds, I think. So he's running around back there, and so he runs off to the right, and then he, he runs forward because nobody can throw it that far without getting a running 
jump in. And so he runs out to the side and he runs up and he throws this pass way up in the air. I was trying to figure out how far it was. I think it would be about like standing in this parking lot and having the receiver in the other parking lot. Something, something along those lines. Way up in the air, and there were six guys going for that ball, and one guy just goes up, and you just see it, and he just grabs that ball perfectly in his two hands, comes down with it like a little baby in his arms, rolls over, touchdown, Packers win. That's what happened. Did I, I, am I pretty close? I think I told it pretty close. All right. My friends, you have just heard the story of Hanukkah. Okay. Maybe not exactly the story of Hanukkah. Maybe there are differences. Maybe there are big differences, actually. But the similarities are striking. Hanukkah is the story of how when there seems to be no hope, there is still hope. That's, that's what Hanukkah is about. When there seems to be no hope for doing what you feel you need to do, the reality is that there is still hope. So when the people went into the temple which was destroyed and all their Imagine somebody just trashing this worship space and breaking all the windows and ripping out the organ pipes and setting it on fire. It was destroyed. And so they, according to their tradition, they needed to light this oil and it had to burn for eight days. That was the tradition. And there was only enough oil for one day. That, that was the reality. That was the chemistry experiment. You know, it's one day's worth of oil. And yet, it burned for eight days. And in the tradition, traditionally, this is referred to as a miracle. So that's fine. One could look at it that way. But I would prefer to look at it as a story about the human condition. I mean, I, these miracle stories really have some kind of message in them. So I personally think that one of the best ways is to let go of the miracle part and just say, what does this story say to us? What is the meaning of this story? And the meaning of the story is that when we think we're totally out of energy, out of courage, out of motivation, out of resources, when we're out of all that stuff, there's still something left that can bring us through. So that's, that's why I compare the two. I am not saying that any laws of nature were broken, although you can interpret it that way if you wish. But what I would say is that we live in a creative universe and that all kinds of things can happen that we do not necessarily foresee. And so, both stories, I think, say that we should always play the game out. We should always go all the way in the direction that we think we need to be going, and amazing things can still happen. Or put it another way, I would say we almost never have enough information to justify giving up. 
Rabbi Michael Lerner, who's the founder of a group called Spiritual Progressives, you may, may have heard of that group. He's, he's, a, he's a Jewish leader, but he welcomes people of all traditions, atheists and theists and Jews and non-Jews. He writes in his Hanukkah column, this week he wrote, that everyone he knows seems to be in a kind of depression over the state of the world. We are not in our most wonderful condition right now. Violence is, seems to be almost a daily occurrence. I don't know if you've heard this statistic or not. If, if a mass shooting is defined as a shooting of four or more people, in one event. If you want to use that definition of a mass shooting, four or more people get shot in one event. The United States has more than one mass shooting per day. We're, we're having more than one a day, a shooting where four or more people are shot. And in other parts of the world, like Paris and Syria and Mali, deeply tragic shootings have also taken place, and it just seems lately it's just been so much. In Paris, this global conference of climate change is taking place. They have a draft agreement. I don't know if you heard that. They have a draft of the agreement as of yesterday. And now the leaders have to work to see if they can iron out the difficult trade-offs in that draft to come up with a final agreement. Can they do that? Can they find it in themselves to, to do that urgent piece of work that needs doing? And even if they can, will it be carried out? And even if it is carried out, will it be enough? So these are profoundly serious questions. If you want to look at climate change as a football game, we're in that last minute of the fourth quarter. And that may be generous, actually. I may be being a little too optimistic on that, but we're somewhere in the last minute of the fourth quarter, if you look at human history. The Hanukkah story counsels us that we have more resources at our disposal than we think we do. That's, I just hear that message so clearly in that story. We don't think we have. Now, I must say that the image of having more oil than we thought we had, maybe not the best metaphor for this, for this situation. It's not that we need more oil. That's not the solution to the problem. What we really have more of than we think we do, I, I believe, is creativity, ideas, resolve, Ability to work together cooperatively. We have more ability to move forward together than we think we do. I would suggest that. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't honestly consider the seriousness of any situation that we're in. We do need to do that. We have to look the data squarely in the face. That gives us our best chance of making a good decision. But the Hanukkah story says that we should move forward on the best available path despite the odds. We should still move forward. We should take a step. We just don't know enough to justify giving up. 
And it always remains true that our odds of success are better if we take the best step available to us, which is with as much positive attitude as we can muster, regardless of the difficulty of the moment. It is still true that our odds are improved by taking the best possible action we can come up with at, at that moment. And then at the next moment, we do that again. We take the next best possible action that we can come up with. That gives us our best chance. As they say in the movies, it's just crazy enough it might work. Whatever our situation, it still remains true that there may be a way out. We're now approaching the solstice time, the time of less and less daylight every day, more and more nighttime every night. Surely our ancestors must have worried that the light would never come back as they saw it getting longer and longer every night. They thought it will just get colder and colder and, and we'll freeze to death. And then, imagine when they finally figured out what the solstice was. They started to see the pattern and they understood what a solstice was and how it would change back to increasing light. It's not surprising that they said this time is a sacred time. This is a special time because it means that our hope is reaffirmed and new life and new light are coming back and we're not going to freeze to death and there's going to be spring and there's going to be all kinds of wonderful things happening on the earth. And so they made that a sacred time and they celebrated it. They had a feast because they knew how incredibly amazing it was that the universe worked this way, that life and warmth and new creatures were going to come back. What an amazing thing. It is clear that our other holidays echo this theme. I'm not reducing the other holidays to this theme, but they echo this theme. Hanukkah tells us that even though there was no way to, write, to light the ritual lights for eight days, it did happen after all. That there was more light than what they believed to be true. They had more of everything in a way than they thought they had. And in the Christmas story, the Christ child is born on the longest night of the year, according to the old legend. He is called the light of the world. That's one of his names, the light of the world. And his mission is to bring hope to those in despair, to bring healing to people who are sick, to bring peace to a world that's lost in wars. These are legends. These are old tales, to be sure. When I was at the Parliament of the World's Religions, we heard a rabbi who was a storyteller and she began one story she said this story is so old it may not have happened <laughs> these are old stories they go back deep into the consciousness of humanity 
We can call them myths if we want to, but they're myths that lift our hearts and speak to us of hope. So we can look at them as stories of God if we want to, or we can look at them as myths that tell us how the universe works. They tell us something about our life, what it's like to be alive on this earth, and what are the challenges, and what are the resources. They tell us that even with six seconds to go and victory far away, you should still make the very best effort possible. You should still throw the pass. Maybe they're going to catch it. You should still write the poem, or join the peace march, or give the gift you're thinking of giving, or call the person you love. Yeah, do that. Do that. We have to make a move. We have to take a step, light a light, write the first sentence. We have to notify the universe that we are still here and we hope to pull out a victory. Somehow this seems to help. Somehow optimism increases the chance of success. Fortune favors the bold, says the old aphorism. Of course, success is never guaranteed. There will be suffering, there will be losses, but we can influence the ratio between joy and sorrow. We can change that ratio. We can help bend the arc toward justice, we can make more love and less war, as some of us said in the 60s. The nations of the world can come together and make an environmental plan. We could do that. It can happen that the people of the United States can make cultural changes that will decrease violence and increase justice. That's what we need is less violence and more justice. Things are possible even if many times it seems very remote. This is the time of year when we celebrate the return of light. Fifteen days from now, the solstice occurs, and the balance shifts, and the days will start to become longer. And spring will be on the way, even if that is not obvious. That creative process is creating new life at every moment, whether we see it or not. And we are called to be participants in that process. We cannot fix the whole world, but we can move something in our little part of the world, little by little. There is a Jewish proverb you may know that says, whoever saves one saves the world. We may think we do not have enough energy or an enough courage or enough insight to make something happen, but actually we do. We may think it's all over, but it isn't. We may think that things are hopeless, but hope still lives on. Sixty years ago this week, Rosa Parks got on a bus and when told to give up her seat to someone who deserved it no more than she did, she just said no. And the whole culture of the United States was shocked into change by her just saying no. 
because we can't foresee the effects of that action. We don't know what that action is going to produce. The person who takes the action just has to go ahead and take the action. Someone has to light the first candle, and the next seven candles will get lit somehow. We need to focus on one. In this season of long nights and sometimes a low supply of hope, it's good to listen to these old stories of light and hope and justice. And it's good not to fall into despair, but light our lights, and in spite of the troubles of the world, be strong and move forward. This is the choice that increases the odds of the best outcome. It doesn't guarantee it, but it increases the odds. Because we live in a creative universe, we can see that creativity all around us. And if we align our individual with that process, then amazing things can happen. You can call them miracles if you wish, or you can call them good luck if you wish, or you can call them the result of hard work by many, many dedicated people. And there may be other names too. But these great stories of the world tell us about these events. And we love to sit by the light of the candles and listen. We love to listen. Our job, if we accept it, is to live out the meaning of these stories. And in our time, create more such amazing stories about how our people continued on the journey and moved the whole human enterprise in a healthy direction.